This is from Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 6, as well as verses 13 and 14. And it says, Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him. Before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well. And verses 13 and 14 say, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, thank you there, Jackie. Uh, hey, so if you are here and you're like, I hardly understood a word she just said. I have good news for you. I would say first, welcome to the world of Hebrew poetry, but we're going to do our best as we walk through that to make uh, that very, very clear this morning. So we're actually finishing up our series in the book of Ecclesiastes today. Ecclesiastes has 12 chapters. We're in chapter 12, and um, here's what he's going to tell us. He's going to tell us uh, not just how to start well, but how to finish well, and he's going to say, look, here's how to finish well and bring meaning and purpose into your life in a world that can sometimes seem like there's no meaning and there's no purpose. And so he begins in verse 1. Here's what he says. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Now, Solomon is an old man at this point, and what he's literally saying is this. Don't forget about your creator in the small window of life that we call youth. I want you to remember your creator when you choose your mate. If you're a young woman or a young man and you want to be married, make sure you marry someone who shares your faith in Christ. I want you to remember your creator when you choose your career. You're going to spend huge chunks of time for the rest of your life at work. Make sure you remember your creator when you do that. I want you to remember your creator when you establish your daily habits because those habits are going to enable you to either walk closely with your creator or to uh, live your life separated from him. I want you to remember your creator when you're faced with decisions to forgive because eventually unforgiveness will just become a part of you 
here's the reality that old miserable people, every old miserable person that you see was once a young foolish person. In fact, I would say this, in fact, every old person is a young person wondering what just happened. So he was just, Solomon's just simply saying this, make choices with your creator when you're young so that you can better enjoy your life as you're older. Because I'll say this, old age is the harvest of all the things that we do in our youth. I want to say that again. Old age is the harvest of all the things that we do in our youth. And I want you to remember that the context here is uh, with, uh, enjoying life as a gift from God, right? The teachers told us over and over and over again, don't see your life as gain, see it as a gift from God. And enjoy every day that you're given in light of that. And he uh, commands us to remember our creator. He says, before the days of trouble come. Now, what he's referring to here is the gradual and the inevitable deterioration of our bodies. Which, in fact, he is going to describe in great detail in verses 2 through six, and we're going to walk through that in a minute, but essentially he's just saying, look, enjoy your youth. Remember your creator when you're young because you're not always going to feel invincible. You're not always going to have your youth. Your body's not always going to be free of pain, so don't take youth for granted. Now, one researcher said this about aging. They said that aging is a syndrome of changes to our bodies that are progressive, that are universal, and that are irreversible. So here's what it looks like. One day, you look down at your hand, and you don't see your hand anymore. You see your parents' hands, right? One day, you look in the mirror, and you notice that hair has stopped growing where you want it to grow and has started growing in places that you don't want it to grow. You'll look in the mirror and notice that weight is moving from the two poles into the equator of your body, right? You're just going to notice this. And if you're young and you're here, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that's never going to happen to me. And those of us who are older, uh, we want you to know that we understand and we want you to know that we love you. But it is going to happen to you, and frankly, we're looking forward to watching it happen. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, there's an old saying, it's been around forever, and the saying is this, youth is wasted on who? on the young. Now, why do people say that? I mean, well, it's because uh, young people, youth is all they've ever known, right? They haven't ever known anything different, so it's very, very easy to take youth for granted. And Solomon would say, no, 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 listen, treasure those days. Live them fully. They will fly by, and, and then you're going to enter into a season of your life uh, or, or, or at least a, a time where you're not going to find the same kind of pleasure in your days as you did when you were older. So, for example, do you like music? You won't always. 
You won't always even be able to hear it. Do you like art? Well, you won't always, and the day's going to come where you won't be able to see it. Do you like intellectual pursuits? Well, one day your mind is going to fade and become more dull. So Solomon would say, look, enjoy your life. Live it wisely. Live it well, but do it in full view of your creator. Now, here's what I want us to do. We're going to do a little experiment on aging together. So if you don't mind, if I could, I know you've been up and down a lot, but uh, if everybody would just stand up for a moment. Now, if you made a little noise when you stood up, a little grunt, that's called aging, okay? In fact, the other day, my wife Jack and I, we were in the kitchen. I was sitting in my kitchen chair. I went to get up. I kind of made a little noise, and she kind of said something to the effect of, wow, you sounded kind of old just then. And I said, well, I felt kind of old just then, kind of felt it, you know, in my knees. Now, everybody take a seat. Now, if you made a little noise on the way down, that's called advanced aging. And that is exactly what Solomon is going to describe to us in, cha- in verses 2 through 6. Um, but before we get into that, I want to introduce somebody to you. Here's what we're really talking about today. For every single one of us in, the, in this room, there is going to come a day where our bodies are going to disappoint us. They're not going to be able to do the things they used to do. And even when we would try to do some of those things, it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful, right? We're not going to have the endurance that we used to have. Well, so I want to introduce to you one of my friends. His name is Dan Denny. Dan uh, has been a pastor. He's been in ministry for decades. And uh, I've asked Dan to just come up and kind of share a little about his journey um, into that and how he's coped with that. Will you guys show Dan some love? Good morning, church. I've been a pastor for over 20 years. I was at the same church in North Vernon, Indiana for 16 of those years. I was the uh, senior pastor, children's pastor, janitor, you know, you know how it goes, and love doing it. But God called us to Rushville, Indiana, the promised land, amen? Joke. It's a joke. No. But God called us almost four years ago to Plum Creek Christian Church. Amazing church. If you don't have a church home, no, I'm joking. (laughs) I'm plugging other churches while I'm up here. But I felt that God was leading me to this, to my forever church. God, this is where I'm going to retire. My kids are going to grow up here. I'm going to see all these things. But my first day of work, before that, I was having some issues, congestion. They thought it was pneumonia, bronchitis. First day of work. I go to put my shoes on and they won't fit. Now, from the waist down, I'm a skinny guy. Waist up, I'm I'm, I'm a big guy, but I look down and my top and bottom matched. (laughs) And I freaked out. I couldn't breathe very well, could barely get up a couple steps. So I went to the ER and they found out I had heart failure from COVID. And uh, they didn't even know what it was back then. But I struggled for three years, had an awesome, incredible time. But then it came to the point where I have so much chronic pain from my heart failure. I, they, we're trying to figure it out. But January 1st of this year, I resigned from that church. And it broke my heart. 
because those people are family to me. And so I was upset. I was mad. I was confused. You know how you go through all those things. You're like, ha, ha, <laughs> leave me alone. And you're like, what just happened? I didn't know up from down. I've been preaching for 20 years about how to prepare for these things. And when the bottom dropped out, boy, I struggled. So I'm up here today prayerfully to give you hope. Because I'm not someone up here, and sometimes I don't like this. I get upset with people when they're like, I went through what you did, and I'm fine now, so I'm happy. And you're like, but you're not in it now. Talk about it when you're in it now. I'm in it now. And you're probably in it now. So many of you talk to me afterwards. You smile and you put on that strong face to show Jesus to everybody, but you're broken I'm in so much pain anywhere I go. It's about an hour that I can handle and I have to lie down. But when I'm up here, there's no pain. When I help, when I lead worship for the little kids, man, there's just all joy. Because guess what I'm focusing on? What's important? Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Unless Jesus is the center. Amen? Thank you. But one thing that we need to realize, and sometimes we don't do the best job as teachers to equip you and ready you that life's going to be hard. Even if you give your life to Jesus, the hard times don't stop. Because guess what? Everyone goes through hard times, right? But we, as Christians... Have hope that they don't. Because one day that pain will stop, amen? Whether here or in heaven. And I'm excited for it. So even in the pain, when I can't sleep, and there's times where my, my, my schedule's flip-flopped and I don't know what, and they're like, well, just stay up and your, your sleeping schedule will change. Well, three days later, I'm wide awake like this. I'm like, this didn't work. And so I'm getting frustrated because there's days where I am down and I can't even get up. To be with my family. I'm atrophied. I lost so much muscle from this. But in the midst of it, you know what I say? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Because guess what? Each and every day when I choose to seek him, he's right there. Amen? Always. See, because I was looking in, in, in John chapter 14. I didn't want to talk to God. I didn't want to look at what was next because I wasn't ready for it. But when I looked in John chapter 14 and following to 17, I see that Jesus is like, look, we're going to have bad times. But guess what? They'll have their day now. But when Jesus comes back, man, they're going to run and scream. So I want to give you hope because Jesus said it in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble. And you know, if that sentence was, it ended there, boy, that would be devastating, wouldn't it? In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus says these words. I love those words in red. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. God is so faithful. He's so loving. You might say, God, why are you doing this? Look in God's word. Does he do that? Does he sin? He loves us. And he wants 
us to find healing. Sometimes it's just spiritual healing, amen? I will most likely have this pain for the rest of my life. I have a defibrillator in my chest because of my heart failure because they're afraid that even an AED won't get to me in time. One doctor said, hey, in five years, you're going to drop dead. Tough luck. Have a good life. And I said, that's not my Jesus. Amen. That is not my Jesus. So I'm in the mix. I'm in the place. I'm in the suck. Sorry. Can I say that? (laughs) That's how bad it is sometimes. Amen. It is so hard, but God is so good. And even in the suck, we can say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Can I pray for you? Father God, right now, I lift up everybody that's hurting, everybody that just, that didn't, that didn't think they had the strength to get up today, God, but you gave them that strength. You gave me the strength up right here, God, because in my weakness, I have nothing, but in my weakness in you, Jesus, I have all the strength I could ever need. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in me. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Bless these people. Give them hope. Give them healing. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Show Pastor Dan some love. Hey, could you, ta- could you tell Dan's done a little preaching? Yeah, could you tell he's not been in the pulpit for a little while, was really trying to get it out there and let it out for us? I saw that. It was awesome, Dan. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. So, hey, so I mentioned a minute ago that Solomon is going to explain in great detail what lies ahead for all of us, right, if we're fortunate enough to live into our old age. And, uh, and so let's just decipher this together. Again, this is Hebrew poetry. It doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but we'll figure it out as we go. So in verse 2, he says, uh, I want you to remember your creator before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. This is a reference to mental vitality. He's saying, look, as you age, your mind is going to begin to fade. So things like creativity and wit and memory are going to slowly, slowly fade away. What was once sharp will slowly start to become dull. And then look what he says in verse 3. When the keepers of the house tremble. Any idea? What starts to tremble in your body first? Yeah, the hands, right? He's talking about our hands. Simple tasks like putting on a shirt or trying to carry a dish will start to be more cumbersome. And and even the strong men stoop. He's talking about back problems. I can relate to that. When the grinders cease because they are few. Any guess on what your grinders are? Yeah, your teeth. Well done. You know, there were no dentists you could go to, no dentures you could put in your mouth. So when you lost your teeth, you just had to live that way. And those looking through the windows grow dim. Uh, What's he talking about there? He's talking about your eyes. There There was no LASIK surgery back then, no eye drops that you could take to make your eyes feel better. And then look at verse four. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs 
grow faint. So one of the things he's saying here is that as you get older, you have more and more difficulty sleeping, getting a good night's sleep. Just little noises start to wake you up. And then once you get up, it's very, very difficult to go back to sleep. And I I can prove this because kids never ask one another, right? Hey, well, how did you sleep last night? They don't do that. Only adults do that because we know the older that you get, the harder it is to get a good night's sleep. He says, look, you're going to rise up earlier and earlier in the morning. And even though the birds may be singing, you won't be able to hear them anymore because your hearing is going to fade. You'll gradually lose that. And then look at verse 5. When people are afraid of heights and of the dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms in the grass, I love this phrase, we'll, we'll get to it in a minute, and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire is no longer stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. So here's what he's talking about here. He's talking about the fear that sometimes accompanies getting older and slower while the world around you seems to move faster. So maybe things like driving a car on the freeway while everybody's speeding around you, that can become taxing. Maybe driving at night because you can't see so well. You're afraid to go up on a ladder or maybe your children tell you, look, don't go up on that ladder because you're, you're, you, know, you, you, may, you may fall. Um, and then he talks about the almond tree and their blossoms. Now you need to know that an almond tree blossom is white, And when a blossom finishes its course, what does it do? It falls to the ground. What do you think he's talking about there? A guess? Yeah, the hair. Your hair is going to turn white and you're going to begin to lose it ever so gradually. Each hair just represents another blossom that falls to the ground. And then he says, the grasshopper drags itself along. I mean, there used to be a spring in the grasshopper's step, right? But he ain't hopping anymore. He's kind of a grass dragger now. He just kind of drags himself through the grass. I mean, his hop has gone up and hopped away. That's what he's saying. Some of us can relate to that. And then he says, and desire fails. In other words, he's saying, look, when you're not interested in sex anymore, Remember, there was no medication, no commercials on television for ED, no doctors that you could go to for that. And it's so interesting to me. Solomon talks about all the ways that your body is going to fall apart. You're going to lose this. You're going to lose that. And then the very last thing he mentioned, you know, I mean, in his mind, you lose your desire for sex only after everything is completely broken (laughs) and not working. In other words, it's the last thing to go. And come to think of it, that makes a ton of sense to me. (laughs) There's an old, old joke, uh, maybe you've heard it, that men, uh, especially when they're younger, only want to have sex on days that begin with the letter T. So there's Tuesday, there's Thursday, there's today, there's tomorrow, and then there's Tatterday and Tunday. I think Solomon would have loved that joke. I do. I'll never forget this, and then we're going to move on. I can see some of you are beginning to get a little uncomfortable. 
I'll never forget this. I was having a conversation with Jim Farnsley, who was an older, kind of a pastor emeritus on our staff. Um, He was with us for about 15 years before he finally uh, passed away as one of our pastors. But he was uh, older than me, a mentor to me, a very loving, kind man. And one day we were, I don't remember the context, but we were having a conversation or why about sex. And he made this comment to me. He said, well, you know, Joanne and I, that was his wife, we would surprise you at how often we enjoy one another. Now, he was in his early 70s at this point, and I, I didn't want to be surprised. I did not ask him a single question. I just said, we just moved on. So, anybody ready for me to move on? Yeah, let's do that. All right, then look what he says. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the street. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, you're going to lose more and more friends to death and both you and them, you're just going to walk around mourning the friends that you've lost, the family that you've lost. I mean, this is just life, right? And then finally, in verse 6, he says this, remember him before the silver cord is severed, that's the back. Uh, The golden bowl is broken, that's the head. Before the pitcher is shattered, that's the pelvis. And the wheel is broken at the well, that's the heart. Here's what he's really saying here in verse 6. He's saying, look, before you just have a total breakdown of the body, Remember him in those days, okay? And then a few verses later, everything that Solomon has said has been um, said to make this point. Look what he says now, and uh, we're at the end of his book. Now all has been heard here is the conclusion of the matter. In other words, what answer is there for the meaninglessness of life? What answer is there for that? He says, well, I'm about to give you the answer. And here's what he says. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So everything the teacher has said about life in this world has driven us to this point and here's what he's essentially saying the teacher has said this all throughout the book look he's saying i've done it all i've seen it all i've taken life further than any of you can go Um, and here is my conclusion All the partying in the world will never bring meaning and purpose into your life. All the sex in the world will not bring the intimacy to your soul that you desire. A comfortable life, and we talk a lot about a comfortable retirement, right? A comfortable life will fail you. Comfort becomes harder and harder to achieve the older that you get. Try hard to be successful, Solomon would say, and you will never feel successful enough. And to make matters worse, no matter how successful you become, no matter how much you do amass, one day you will die and have to give it all back to your maker, to your creator. Where is the meaning in that, Solomon would say, right? See, he's just saying, look, 
all those things are dead ends. Sure, you can walk down the street uh, toward those things for a little while, but you get to the end and there's nowhere else to go. Those things can only take you so far in life. So fear God and keep his commandments. Now the word fear there, especially the way we use it can be mis misleading because God is, Solomon is not asking us here to be afraid of God. That is not what he's saying. He is saying, as you go through your life, whether you are young, middle-aged, or old, I want you to have an awe of God. And it, the same kind of awe that you would have when you see the Grand Canyon for the first time or you see the vastness of the ocean. When, when you think about the vastness and the bigness of God, you should be in awe of Him. You should live your life in reverence of God. You should live your life surrendered to God. Because uh, all the things in the world that Solomon is reminded we can't control week after week after week, God is the one who controls all of those things. And so we have to entrust ourselves, whether it's a good season or a bad season, to him, right? So Solomon would say, look, just go through your life with a deep respect and admiration for God and who he is and what he has done. And then he says something a little unusual. He says this is the duty not just of Jews, not just of Christians. This is the duty of all mankind. In other words, why would he say that? Well, because no matter where you live or when you live, God is the one who gave you life and gave you breath. And God is the one who sustains your life. So it doesn't matter where you live or when you live, you owe your life and your existence to God. And then he reminds us why this is so important. Because he says in the final verse, because with death, after death, comes judgment. If God gave us our life, he has the right to critique our life. See, God will judge every life. And, and the thing that should scare us about this judgment is it will be completely fair. It will be completely just. Solomon says that's one of the reasons we should live in awe and respect of God. In fact, he says even the secret things will be judged by God. You know what that really means? In this universe, where as long as God lives and he'll always live, there's no such thing as a secret. See, you may think it's a secret. You may think nobody knows. But the reality is God knows. He has the tape. He knows. And then one of the, teach, the things that the teacher says here is that not only that we should fear God, but that we should keep his commandments. Now, it's funny. I mentioned in the first service that there were 605 commands in the, uh, in the Bible, and somebody came up afterwards. I, I'm not going to tell you his... Uh, I'll give you his initials uh, to protect the guilty, but it was Byron. And Byron... <laughs> Byron came up to me and he said, Pastor, I've waited for this day since I came to SCC. There weren't 605 commands, there were 613. And he was right. So give it up for Byron, ladies and gentlemen. Well done. 
hats off to you. Sure. Yeah, 613 commands in the Bible. Now listen, most of us can't even count that high, right? Much less memorize that many commands. So when Solomon says, keep the commands of God, well, which ones is he talking about? And fortunately, Jesus came and he made this very, very clear. So here's the context. Jesus is in a small room upstairs in a home. He's getting ready to have dinner with his disciples. And he's, he's, ta- he's telling them he's, he's going to bring a new covenant. In other words, he's saying, look, there's a new sheriff in town. Moses was the old sheriff. But there's a new sheriff in town, and it's me, and I make the rules from now on. That's what he's saying. And then he says this in that context. A new command I give you, love one another. Now listen, here's what's so fascinating about this command. That command was not new in and of itself. The command to love one another was spoken over and over and over again in the Old Testament. That wasn't new. What made it new was what Jesus was about to say next. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says something remarkable. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. Not because you have a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker on the back of your car. Not because you wear a cross around your neck. But by your attitude toward other people. By your love for them. That's what's supposed to out you as a follower of Jesus. That is what followers of Jesus are supposed to do. And then everything else in the New Testament lines up under this command. Everything. So, for example, there are over 50 one another's in the New Testament. So, for example, pray for one another, honor one another, care for one another, serve one another. All of those commands line up under this one. In other words, all of those commands are specific ways that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. How do I love you? Well, I love you by praying for you. How do I love you? Well, I love you by serving you. How do I love you? Well, I, I, I love you by honoring you. Uh, I love you by being kind to you. And on and on and on it goes. Uh, this, it's so important to get this. And here's the, the scary thing about this command. There are no loopholes to love. See, there were loopholes to the law. I mean, questions like this, right? Well, pastor, okay, so I can't have sex before marriage, but how far can I go? See, that's a loophole. But love has no loopholes. There are no shortcuts. You can't microwave love. You can't throw a little affection at somebody and then say, well, my work is done here, because that's not love. See? Love exhausts you. Love takes every bit of energy that you have. And you can't just look at people and say, well, I'll love you when you love me, or I'll love you when I'm, when I'm rested, or I'll love you when I feel good, or I'll love you, you know, when I feel that you've loved me well, or whatever. None of that can exist. That's not what love does, is it? Because love moves first. 
Isn't that what Jesus did? He made the first move when you and I were running the opposite direction. See, uh, this is this is the, our New Testament marching orders. And this is why the New Testament writers say repeatedly over and over and over again that love is the fulfillment of the law. Because if you're loving whoever it is that you're locking eyes with in a given moment, you are going to keep the law without even thinking about the law. You won't even need the law anymore unless you need the law to help you realize that you're guilty before Jesus. That's the purpose of the law in this day and age, to convict every single one of us of our need for a Savior, to remind every one of us that we are rule breakers and law breakers. But listen, there's a new sheriff in town, and his name is Jesus, and he has been sent by God for your salvation and mine. And here's what he would just say. So, so the other day, I was in the gym, and I heard a song I'd never heard before. It's by an artist by the name of Glenn Phillips. I'd never heard of Glenn Phillips before. But as I'm in the gym, and, you know, there's all these big, brawny guys walking around. I'm listening to the words of this song, and I start crying. And so, like, I'm in a corner, you know, I'm trying to, like, wipe my eyes because, you know, guys are, like, looking at me like, you know, sissy, like that kind of a whole deal, right? But, I mean, I was so moved and touched by the song. I just wish it had happened somewhere other than the gym, but that's where it happened. I happened. I was so moved. I said, you know what? I, went, I went, immediately went to Brandon. And I said, Brandon, you have to learn this song. And uh, these really, I mean, Jesus could have said these words. And so I want you to listen to this song, and then we're going to come up and unpack that a little bit more together. can't just love the easy ones you can't just love the easy ones you gotta let them in when you'd rather just run you can't just love the easy ones can't just play the simple songs you can't just play the simple songs you gotta knuckle down till your fingers are raw you can't just play the simple songs oh and i can't face the ones I fear, it'll all become clear. Oh, and I embrace the ones I fear, it'll all become clear. You can't just walk the shortest road. You can't just walk the shortest road. You've got to straighten your back beneath the heaviest load. You can't just walk the shortest road. 
face the ones I fear it'll all become clear oh and I embrace the ones I fear it'll all become clear for all the suffering souls beside me I pray love will guide me. I pray love will guide me home. You can't just love the easy ones. You can't just love the easy ones. You gotta let them in deep when you'd rather just run. You can't just love the easy ones. You know, for some of us, that would be an anthem about our marriages. I mean, for some of us, we're in a season, right, in our marriages where Loving our spouse is really, really hard. And we're in this cycle, right? You're waiting for them to make a move, and they're waiting for you to make a move. But the reality is that's not what love does. Love does not wait. Love acts. Love encourages. Love draws near. For some of you, you know, maybe it's a wayward child. And, you know, they've hurt you and they've disappointed you over and over and over again Um, but you've got to figure out how to keep loving them this is what is so beautiful about the holy spirit of god see jesus doesn't ask us to do that command on our own he doesn't even ask us to fulfill that command out of our own strength because you know this if you've uh, been alive any time at all you don't have that much love in you i don't have that much love in me And so every day, do you know what one of the prayers, and I'd encourage everybody in the room to begin to pray this very same prayer. I pray it every day. I get up, I I open my eyes, and I say, Lord, help me love well everybody that I lock eyes with today. And then then what I'll do is I'll walk through all the meetings I know I'm going to have, and I'll just say, God, help me love them well. Help me listen well. Help me be kind. Help me give them my all right? And then if I happen to bump into anybody else, God, help me, help me love them well. And then I say, and I I say this, and this is so important, and you know what? I'm just going to trust you to give me the strength and the power I need, the love that I need. See, because the reality is with human beings, we just, our love is about this deep. uh, Human beings only love when we feel adulated. We only feel when, we only love when we're made to feel good. You know, most of the time that we love, it's a selfish love. We don't love because we long to give. We love because of what we get from the other person. And Jesus says, I'm going to take that kind of love and I'm going to turn it on its head, and I'm going to give you the ability through the Holy Spirit of God. I'm going to, I'm going to give you love for people, and I want you to walk in that, and I want you to live out you know, of that. So here's what I want to do 
It isn't just, and here's the thing, when I think about that song, I mean, our God did that. He didn't just love the easy ones. He loved me. I was running from him. I was making up my own rules, going my own way. And God reached down and plucked me out of that. I was not an easy one for him to love. And yet, he loved me still. You may feel like you're not an easy one for God to love. But he loves you nonetheless. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, done, no matter how far down a particular road you may have walked, our God loves you just that way. In fact, one time Jesus was having a conversation with some religious leaders. And they were accusing Jesus and condemning Jesus because he was hanging out with riffraff hanging out with people that were sinners. They were far from God. They were lost to God. And Jesus looked at these teachers and he said to them, you don't know the heart of my father. You don't know his heart. And to help him understand the heart of his father, he told him three stories. This is Luke 15. You can read it for yourself. He told him three stories. He told him a, a story about a shepherd who loses a sheep and he leaves the 99 to go out and search for the one sheep. That one sheep mattered so much to God. And then he talks about a woman that loses a coin. That coin probably represented a tenth of her inheritance. She tears her house apart, and when she finds the coin, she throws a celebration, invites her friends over, right? And then the third story is about a lost son. Now, the father doesn't go out and look for the son in the same way the shepherd and the woman look for the coin and the sheep. Because he's a son, right? He has a free will, but the father's there. He's waiting at the end of the road. He's looking at the horizon, just waiting for his son to return. And in all three of those stories, it's so beautiful. They throw a party when that one person repents. And, and look what Jesus said about this. This is um, uh, Luke 15, 7. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. See, this is the love of God. God loves people who don't believe in him. God loves people who are wayward. God loves people who've ignored him with their whole life, even though he is the one who's given them life and breath and everything they haven't owned. He just loves. He doesn't just love the easy ones. And here's what that means. It means that every single one of us in this room, if God loves the one, then we need to have a one. So here's my question. Who is your one? Who is your one? Who's wayward? Who doesn't believe in God? who's making it up as they go along, who's, uh, uh, who's just mired in addiction, who's just struggling with life. See, every single one of us in this room, we need to have a one. Because here's the reality, right? You and I, we can't save everybody. We can't pray for everybody, but we can pray for one person. We can pray for somebody. You know, and the idea is, no matter where we are on the spiritual continuum, we look for somebody that's one step or maybe two steps behind us. 
And we say, okay, I'm going to help move them toward Christ. I'm going to help move them toward Jesus. And this is what it means to be on mission with Jesus. And friends, listen, this laces your life with meaning and purpose. And it's one of the things that Solomon meant when he said, fear God and keep his commands. To keep his commands, you have to know God's heart for lost people. You have to be in touch with that. Because there was a day, I was 18 years old, and I was one of those people. And, you know, somebody had the courage to talk to me about Jesus. And I I heard that message, and I received it. For some of us, we have to speak that. Hey, well, okay, man, I'll just pray for you. Like if a friend at work is sharing, be sure to say, look, I'll pray for you, you know. And then actually do that. Don't, it's so bad when you go like, hey, I'll pray for you. And then the next time you see him, you go, oh, I forgot to pray for him, right? Don't do that. Actually pray. Or better yet, if you're even a little more bold, offer to pray for them right then and there. You will be amazed how many people are completely blown away because nobody has ever prayed for them. Nobody. But you could be that first, right? So, uh, yeah, so I want to tell you a story about a woman by the name of Evelyn Brand. We're going to close with this because this is a life well lived. This is a beautiful life. This is a woman who used her life all the way up and to the end to bring glory to God. Philip Yancey says he admires Paul Brand more than any man he's ever met. Paul Brand is an eminent physician. He wrote several books with Philip Yancey and for Philip Yancey. So Evelyn Brand is his mom. She was a missionary in India she met a guy named Jesse and uh, they moved to India to be missionaries they went seven years without a convert seven years without anybody coming to Jesus but then the priest of another religion grew deathly ill and nobody in any of the villages wanted to care for this priest because the fear was he was contagious and then they would die so Evelyn and Jesse nursed him as he lay dying And his thought, his thinking process went like this. He said, well, you know, they're caring for me as I die. This God, Jesus, he must be the true God because Jesse and Evelyn are the only ones who will care for me while he was was dying. So he gives his life to Christ and then he gives his children to them to raise. And then everything changed and they began to see just revival, just people coming to Christ over and over and over again. They have 13 years of great ministry. Evelyn turns 50 years old and her husband Jesse dies. So the mission board that she was with said, hey, look, you had a good run. What, you know, your husband's dead now. You're a widow. You're out here all alone. Why don't you come home? And she said, I'm not going to do it. And so for 20 more years, she stayed until she was 70, so she could tell village to village people about Jesus. And then when she was 70 years old, the mission board sent her another letter, and they said, Evelyn, you're 70 years old. You need to come home. Her son, this physician, Paul Brand, went out to India, flew out there and said, Mom, you're 70 years old. You need to come home. She said, I will not 
come home. And so what she did is she smuggled a bunch of supplies in. The mission board cut her off, but she said, I'm going to preach Jesus here for as many days as he gives me. She got a little pony, and she would ride that pony from village to village. She did that until she was 90 years old. Then one day, she was riding this pony into a village, and she fell off the pony. And so she couldn't, uh, she couldn't ride village to village anymore. But the men of these villages loved her so much, they put together a cot that could be carried by four people. And she was called Granny Brant by now, by all the villagers, Granny Brant. And they would carry Granny Brant on a stretcher from village to village, 90 years old, so that she could tell people about Jesus. And she did that for three years, three more years, until she was 93 years old. See, and every day... She says she would get up and she would say, God, give me the people of the mountains. See, if you're going to live well, that's a prayer you need to pray. God, give me purpose and meaning. God, use me every day to change the people that I, uh, you know, lock eyes with. See, that's just, that is such a great example. Her life is so challenging to me. Because here's the thing, right? In our society, we think about retirement. We think about being comfortable. Um, but listen, and while it's fine to retire from your job, you don't retire from the kingdom of God. You don't retire from serving God ever. Every one of us in this room need to be like Granny Brandt. So let me pray that for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these men and women. I thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes. I thank you for the wisdom that you've shared with us. I pray we would be a people that would live differently, that would see life as a gift from you and a stewardship for you. And I pray we'd live each day wisely and well with an eye fixed on you, even as your eyes are fixed on us. I ask it and I pray it in the mighty name of our Jesus and all God's people said. Hey, thank you guys for worshiping with us.